How to write a new book for the Bible. A new book for the Bible. How to write a new book for the Bible. A new book for the Bible. How to write a new book for the Bible. How to write a new book for the Bible. A new book for the Bible. Write a new book. Write a new book. Okay, you're back. So, you'd like to add a new book for the Bible. You'd like to reveal to us the revelation that's occurred in your family. Good. Now, let's say you're foolish enough to do this. Let's say you're foolish enough to want to add a new book to the Bible. Then what? Where do you start? In the beginning is a great beginning. And that phrase is used twice in the Bible. The first time begins the whole story. And the second time it begins the story of Jesus as told by John. So for my own telling, I would like to find a verse, um, a moment in the events of my mother's life um, that would be worthy, that would indicate the depth of revelation that occurred in her life. But you know what? Faced with the journeys of the Bible, these these epic journeys, it's a bit intimidating. I mean, people walk through the sea. Jesus walks on the sea. The Israelites wander for 40 years in the desert, or Jesus spends 40 days in the desert fasting, wrestling with the devil. Who takes those kind of journeys now? Who does that? And from my point of view, I think we all do. Some of our journeys are more visibly dramatic than others, but every journey through life is infinite. And even the quietest of us eventually has to face death. And that is the ultimate adventure. Gathering the stories of my parents and focusing on mom's death, I will try to find a single moment that begins this story. Something, what, compassionate, sympathetic, empathetic, bold, something courageous. Since it's revelation I'm looking for, I will also look for something surprising. And above all, I want to look for something simple, something as simple as my two favorite verses from the Bible, from the Old Testament, Sarah laughed, from the New, Jesus wept. Write a new book, write a new book, write a new book. Mary Kane. My mother's name is called, and she stands up in the waiting room and walks into Dr. T's office. We face Dr. T across his desk. The doctor is smiling. Does this mean good news, I wonder? He sits in front of a wall of diplomas. On the desk, there are piles of folders, and each one of those folders is a life. One of those folders is my mother's life. He waits, we wait, and then he asks very, very pleasantly, yes, and what can I do for you? I realize he has no conception of who we are. This annoys me and I let it show. I say, we're here for the results. The doctor says, still smiling, of? Before I can go into a nasty moment, My mother puts a hand on my arm and she takes over and she says, 
the results of the test doctor. The doctor says, tests? Now, I want to attack the doctor. But mom continues pleasantly, oh yes, doctor, tests. We saw you two weeks ago, doctor. My doctor, Dr. Polycarp, sent me to you to find out what's causing the pain in my back. You ordered tests, doctor. Oh, doctor, I drank a gallon of the worst tasting and now the doctor remembers. Ah, yes, you'd lost some blood. We thought it might be your new heart valves. Your name? Mary Kane, doctor. And, and doctor, the valves aren't new. I've had these valves for 20 years. As he searches through his files, the doctor says, and what kind of valves did they give you? And my mother says, pig. The doctor says, 20 years. Pig valves don't usually last that long. And my mother says, well, doctor, this was evidently an exceptional pig. Write a new book. Write a new book. The doctor says, I can't find your file. Would you mind waiting in the hall? My mother rises with difficulty, saying, there's no problem, doctor. And while we're in the hall, the doctor says, oh, here it is. And he comes out, and with his head in the file, he says blandly, Oh, there are inoperable lesions on the liver. And he looks up with a small smile. Mary Kane does not realize that her death sentence has just been read. She doesn't pick up information unless there's an emotional content attached to it. And the tone of this doctor was very much like a car mechanic changing oil on a car. I say, doctor, could I speak to you alone for a moment? So while mom has blood drawn, I speak with the doctor privately. Aggressive chemotherapy, he says, can slow the progression. Knowing my mother at her age would never go for that. I ask, just, just what's the prognosis? And he says, well, you know, six months is the usual number but that doesn't mean anything really. Another name is called, the conversation is over. As we leave, mom asks, well, what was that all about? I lie. I say, the doctor says you need more tests. Oh no, Billy, not more tests. I don't tell mom that day that she is going to die. I know I will be leaving Syracuse for New York, my home, in a day or two, and I don't want to tell her you're dying and then leave her alone with the news. Better go to New York, get what I need, pack my bags, come back to Syracuse and say, I'm here. I'll see you through. I was back from New York within the week. It took me another week to tell her. I explained the delay to myself by saying the time was never right. But the truth was, I just couldn't bring myself to do it. Write a new book. October 12th. Mom, turn off the TV. She says, wait, but it's the playoffs. Mom's watching her beloved baseball. I don't say anything. Mom picks up on my mood and she turns the baseball game off. I say, as simply as I can, he didn't say you needed more tests, the doctor. 
He said you have cancer, and there's nothing he can do. I pause and then say, I didn't tell you before because, well, because. Mom takes that in, and then she says, well, I sort of knew. I ask how. I didn't think you understood lesions on the liver. She laughs and says, I didn't, but still. I ask her, why, why didn't you say anything? She says, I didn't want to believe it, I suppose. I ask, how did you know? And Mary Kane thinks for a moment, and then she says, the doctor. He, he wouldn't look at me. And he did his best to lose the file. He's a nice man, Billy. He's just frightened. After some silence, I ask her, well, what do you think? And she says, it seems like a shame to have gone through all this pain and still not get better. Then, after a moment, she says, well, I'll do the best I can. Then she becomes still, and I wait for what her final statement on the matter would be. Could this be, now thinking back on it, the beginning of a new book for the Bible? And finally she speaks and she says, Billy, and I say, yes, mom. And she says, Billy, can I watch the playoffs now? I say, sure. And I wait for her to turn on the TV, but she doesn't. Would you like me to turn on the TV for you? And she doesn't respond to this for a long time. And then I say, I'll move in, Mom. I'll see you through. Mom looks at me and she says very simply, thank you, Billy. I'd appreciate that. And that was all, except for a question. Bill, how long did the doctor say I have? And I lie. He said, there's no way to know. And we both know I'm lying. And as she leaves, she turns to me and says, well, thank you for telling me so kindly. And she goes into her own room to lie down. Wednesday, October 27th. Mary Kane, my mother's name is called again in the doctor's office. This time, Dr. T remembers her. And this time, Mom knows what's going on. Mom and the doctor talk. I sit, silent and resentful, and watch Dr. T across his file-covered desk. Beyond the simple fact that I don't like him, I can't figure out why he made this appointment. He's a surgeon. The cancer is inoperable. There is no reason for us to be here. I will learn this, but I hadn't learned yet that doctor's appointments like cancer itself, they just reproduce mindlessly. I didn't know it, and I'm glad I didn't know it. Dr. T tells her there's nothing to add to what she already knows. From now on, all her care will be through her own doctor, Dr. P. The end. He closes the file and moves it from one pile to another. I am at this point finding it hard even to be civil to Dr. T. There's an awkward silence, and it is my job at this point to say, well, thank you, doctor, but I don't. Silence goes on. Then he says something. Something very simple. 
He says it honestly, warmly, and with supreme kindness. Mary, he says, from now on, our main concern is your dignity and your comfort. There's a brief pause. And just for a moment, mom smiles like a girl unexpectedly asked to dance. She's charmed by the doctor's words. And then, for the first time she heard the news about her death, she cries. This surprises her and this embarrasses her, but the emotions behind these tears are huge and her embarrassment is no match for it. Her tears seem to me very old. How old could these tears be? Mary's 81. Her life has spanned most of the century. Early in the century, Mary Dawson was born the daughter of shanty Irish immigrants. Joanna Ryan Dawson was her mother. Joanna cleaned rich people's houses and took in their laundry after her young husband died of cancer. I never knew him, Billy. I was three when he died. Mary, who started working, ironing, when she was seven years old to help her mother, Mary, who got her first paying job the day, the very day she graduated from vocational high school in the middle of the Depression, not the day after, Billy, I work that day and I graduated that night. Mary, who worked job after job until she and Pete started their family. <gasps> More ironing, Billy. I used to do so many shirts for your father, there was no place to hang them all. Mary Kane, who, when she had to go back to work at 49, was told by an employment agency, it's going to be hard to find you a job, you're 49, said, then you better get me a job fast, because I'm going to be 50 soon, and think how much harder it will be then. Mrs. Kane, who doubled her salary in a year working in a factory, then moved into management and continued to work and work hard to take care of her husband through a long life and a hard death, her sons and her army of friends, until just taking care of herself became a full-time job. Mary, who has done a lifetime of hard work and who thought her death would be one more job in a lifetime of hard jobs, Mary is crying, very old tears. And she's not crying because of her coming death though the doctor couldn't know that. She's crying because this near stranger is offering her something she has always wanted and no one till now has ever offered it to her. The doctor has said, Mary, from now on, our main concern is your dignity and your comfort. Mary Kane, who has spent all of a hardworking life struggling for other people's dignity, and for other people's comfort, is being offered her own. And she is finally too tired, too worn down, too sad not to accept it. And Mary cried, and Sarah laughed, and Jesus wept. So what verse to begin? Can I watch the playoffs now? Or Mary, from now on, our main concern is your dignity and comfort. Ooh, much as I hate to vote against my mother's line, 
what the doctor said really was a revelation. And not just a revelation that mom's death might offer her something that her life didn't, as wonderfully hopeful as that was, but the moment itself was a revelation. The doctor was a revelation. A revelation of the unexpected tenderness that lives deep within the most unexpected, most ordinary places, where God waits, has always waited, always will wait to be revealed. As she rises to go, she smiles. Ooh, doctor, you've been very kind to me. Well, he says, you're easy to be kind to. She says, oh, no, not me. I'm nothing but trouble. And we find our way to the door, and we begin a new journey. How to write a new book for the Bible. How to write a new book for the Bible. A new book for the Bible. Write a new book. Write a new book. End of episode two. Written by Bill Kane. Produced by Denise Himetalu. Music by Peter McLaughlin.